We are on a mission, a mission to save and revitalize independent pharmacy. On the Catalyst Podcast, we dive into current events that are shaping how pharmacists approach their patients and their businesses. Fuel your passion for pharmacy one conversation at a time. Three, two, one, zero. Ignition. We are on the Catalyst Podcast. I am Mark Bivens, Vice President of Business Development. With me from Pioneer is... I'm Josh Allen, Vice President of Clinical Strategy. And with us remotely is Amina Abubakar with... I have a long list of titles I'm going to read, Amina. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I feel like I'm introducing a king or a queen. Um, so she is the 2020 NCPA Willard B. Simmons Independent Pharmacist of the Year for NCPA, owner of RX Clinic Pharmacy in Charlotte, North Carolina, clinical director of Troy Medicare, CEO of the Avant Institute of Clinicians, board member of the Safari Doctors, and also known as the Mother Teresa of Healthcare. <laughs> How are you doing? Great. Great. I don't know who found that last title. I saw it and I was like, who did that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I was like, uh, I was reading and and you've been invited to things like some of the stuff at the White House or or some offices with the White House and stuff. And uh, I read that on your bio. I was like, that's so cool. Yeah, normally you have to inflate people's bio, but we actually had to cut this one down to make it in the hour time slot. (laughs) Well, my pleasure being here today with you guys. We'll get into some of the like current business stuff, um, but but let's start with like you and your origin story. I think it's kind of cool, like how you found pharmacy, became a pharmacist. Um, you're from Kenya originally, um, if if I'm if I'm speaking that correctly, I think I am. Um, but g- kind of give us a little bit of that journey. Sure. So I was born and raised in Kenya, East Africa. And uh, my father was a chief curator of a museum. So from an early age, I lived in a 400-year-old fortress called Fort Jesus. And so you can imagine a four-year-old stuck in a 400-year-old fortress, and there's no one to play with. And so I always had to just imagine things, you know, what would life be here? What would I do? So I spent a lot of my time with uh, folks that did excavations. So at a four or five, I was digging fossils and uh, taking them to the microscopes and just doing carbon dating to Hmm. figure out how long these fossils (laughs) were or how old they were. And then um, as I grew up, as I was a teenager, I became obsessed with this show called 90210 for Beverly Hills. (laughs) I love that. And so that became my obsession because it just fascinated me. And that was my context of what America was. It was all fun. (laughs) And everyone. Big hair. Yes. Everybody's fabulously wealthy. Yeah, rolled rolled up jackets. Right. (laughs) And I thought, wow, that's where I want to go. So I remember telling my parents that I would love to go to America to go to school. Of course, I didn't tell them why. So when they asked me reasons, I said, well, I've been doing my research and they have the best education. They have the best resources. And then my dad said, well, that's great, but uh, we can't afford it. 
So I said, well, so between me and America, it is just that you can't afford it, but I do have permission to leave Kenya and just, <laughs> just go. I love how she found the loopholes. Yeah. She was like, but you're saying I can go. <laughs> I can go was all I needed. Right. And so then I went to school and got all my classmates and I told them I had this great idea and that they would all help me fundraise to go to America. And everybody laughed and said, here goes Amina with yet another crazy idea. <laughs> and I said, we need to do one of the best shows in our town and we're going to sell tickets and I'm going to raise money. So we did it and we sold tickets to all the high schools and we had this best show and I raised $8,000 to come to America. Holy wow. smokes. I didn't so know that. I didn't realize your crazy ideas started when you were yeah. addicted to 90210. Right. Yeah. So it's been in my genes, I guess, just having these crazy ideas and just see if it could work. What kind of show? Like, I'm sorry, I'm going to focus on that a little bit. <laughs> what kind of so, was it? Like a variety uh, show? Like, or was it a, yes, a talent it was a show? show? Okay. So, yes, it was a talent show, and uh, so the area that I come from, Mombasa, it's a very diverse culturally. Mm -hmm. So we, I was going to school with people with Indian origin. Just Kenya itself, we have about 42 tribes, right? And each tribe is unique. They speak a unique language. So I just thought they could represent their cultures. Sure. And uh, my brother was really into like uh, music television. So like Boys to Men. And so him and his friends, they put together. Boys to Men, I, yeah, you know, I love it. Yeah, so they did that. I just wish we had um, like the phones where we could record back in the days. I think it would have been fascinating to see that now. So yes, we did this and I went back to the fort where my dad worked and that was our venue. And we had this, uh, it was one of the best shows sold out that's cool like i i like i can't get past the fact that like we owe amina's being here and providing all the cool things in that's pharmacy so to true. like jason Priestley. right right <laughs> thank you jason <laughs> Priestley, and the 90210 cast I'm send this dude a thank you note for bringing us amina that is so fantastic <laughs> um so uh, okay a little bit into that then um you get the eight grand you raise it his dad kind of like, uh, uh, now it's real. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah, now it's real. So, you know, and I had done my whole research how to get to the American embassy, you know. And oh, wow. Yeah, plan. All right. <laughs> yes, I was ready for the next step. So, the only thing I didn't know was not everywhere in America was the same. So, my dad said, now that we have the money, let me reach out to some of my friends that have their kids going to school in America. And so now they can help you get admission and we, we can do the next logical step. Mm -hmm. So I was connected to them and they said, yes, great. We'll get you the application. I didn't know that Blacksburg, Virginia was not Beverly Hills. So <laughs> <laughs> I can see it. <laughs> so I said yes to yes. They said Virginia Tech was a great school. And we had a strategy to start at a community college so I can assimilate culturally. You know, so they gave me great advice and I said yes to everything until I landed. <laughs> and I was like, wow, uh -oh. where is 
90210. Right. Yeah. Where's where's Jason and, and the cast? Because my first image from the airport, we were driving to campus and all I saw was cows. And I was like, what just happened? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, if this was America, I would just stay in Kenya. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, where's Ashton Kutcher? There's right. something yeah. wrong and here. And I remember calling my dad and I said, did you know they have cows in America? And he said, where do you think they get burgers from? <laughs> like, I was like, well, that was not in my research. Right. right. I didn't find that anywhere. <laughs> but then I stayed and I, you know, I love people. So it's very easy for me to make friends and learn new things. So it didn't take me long to feel at home sure. in Virginia. Uh, so I, I like getting involved. So I got involved with student activities and it was good after that. And then um, started my way back, uh, my way to Philadelphia to go to pharmacy school. Yeah, what, what, yeah, well, okay. So you punch your ticket, you, you land, all right, you get assimilated to a, to a degree. Um, what made you go? Do you have a family of, of, of folks in the medical field or was it just something that, what, what drew you to pharmacy? So um, my father's brothers were both very traditional providers, right? What you would call the Eastern medicine or Chinese medicine or alternative medicine. So I was always very curious what they gave these folks that came to see them. You know, I always had that curiosity. People would come to see them for anxiety or depression or they weren't feeling well. And they would give them all these concoctions and folks would go and they will be better. So I used to tease them that I will be their Western uh, partner, you know, so we can bring the East and the West together. Because at the same time, I was always fascinated as to why when my toe hurts, Someone gave me medicine by mouth, but then my toe felt better. So I was always just very curious, Mm -hmm. you know, so medicine had that curiosity for me, how things really worked in the body. So you went to, you said Philadelphia. So let's take it from there in pharmacy. So from Virginia, they did not have pharmacy school. So I went online and I looked for where I could go to pharmacy school. And I was very impressed with this one website from uh, Philadelphia College of Pharmacy. But what I didn't know was that the pictures were about the city, not the school. <laughs> so, then, so then I get to Philadelphia and it did not look like the website. <laughs> we keep, yeah, we keep a lot of false advertisement, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, so I got there and it was, now I had fallen in love with the green in Virginia right. and the campus and Philadelphia Pharmacy School was in the city. So in between me and the classes, they were like, there was a bar and they were, I saw homeless people. I had never seen them in America before. Mm-hmm. So here goes another anxiety of change. But then pretty quick, I had to adapt. Right. And I fell in love with the city of brotherly love. All so right. I grew to love Philadelphia. And did you go from Philadelphia to Charlotte or was there another stop from a a really successful marketing campaign? (laughs) So after pharmacy school, at this point, I didn't care where I went because it (laughs) looked like from Kenya to Virginia to Philadelphia, everything's been fine. And so um, I was an international student, so it didn't matter where I went. 
Uh, so I was interviewing with different places. I was ready to go to Alaska because I heard they paid pharmacists really well in Alaska. Um, then one of my roommates, he was from um, Serbia, and he had interviewed with CVS in North Carolina. And I was coming from campus, and he had an offer letter on his table. And this offer letter looked great. And he was like, I don't know where Charlotte is. I'm not moving. So I read this offer letter and I said, if you don't want it, I'll take it. <laughs> so, I, so I took the offer letter and called the number. And I said, hey, you offered my roommate a job, but he's not really interested. Are you still looking? And they were like, yes. I was like, well, I'm ready to move. So oh. they offered me the position and I moved to Charlotte. So is your Serbian friend like still in Philly or? No, because then he moved here <laughs> because I told him how crazy he was that he didn't move to, to Charlotte. And so as soon as I got here, I got a lot of my friends to move with me. So he did. And we created our own community from pharmacy school. So a lot of my close classmates, we both we all moved to Charlotte and started our own community. So one of the things I like about this is you see the Amina that's like this list of titles. Right, yes. And somebody who is an incredibly gullible to marketing campaigns. <laughs> At um, least when she was younger. <laughs> yeah, now she's like using those to her advantage. Right. But you know, like this, like, it wasn't like a laser focus to get to pharmacy school into Charlotte. It was. I think it's always about you just have to try you know, because you never know. And that's what has made me believe, you know, it's okay. Because either you're going to love it. And if you don't, at least you know what you don't like. A lot of that's just putting yourself out there, right? And then it sounds like you really embrace that even from a child. I don't know how, I don't know too many, you're assuming you were a teenager probably at the time when you put on a show to raise $8,000 to, to move to the U.S. Like, ah, who... It's yeah. very few. It's yeah, it's so like rare. Mark and I were talking before this, and we're like, "Man, Amina's superpower is just persistence." You know, like you'll talk to people until they're like, "All right, we'll do that." <laughs> yes, there's always a way. All right, so you're you're at CVS. What makes you go? You know what? I I think I can deliver this differently, or I think I can do this on my own. What makes you kind of jump into being an entrepreneur um, at that point? Sure. So until today, I really don't even define myself as an entrepreneur. I really am a person that likes to solve problems. So when I see problems, it just bothers me until I figure out how to solve it. So in pharmacy school, I graduated with honors. I was very clinically driven, loved all the clinical aspects of pharmacy, never really saw myself at a CVS or Walgreens. And however, I had to choose a path. So as an international student, upon graduation, um, I had actually interviewed with great residency programs from Duke to Chapel Hill and John Hopkins, and I was going to do HIV and infectious disease. That was my passion. However, I knew to legally stay in America, I only had one shot. I had one year to get in front of an employer who believed in me and could sponsor me to stay in the U.S. and work. 
So I had to withdraw from the residency because I said, that's a lot of gamble because if I just do a residency and I use up my year, right. then what? So I had to change my strategy and say, I'll go for a job. So that's why I accepted the CVS offer. But when I was there, I was still taking care of patients clinically. I would ask questions. I would like to know what else is going on. And that fire never stopped with me. You know, it's like, okay, how can I now take my passion right into these patients that are in front of me? And I could not do it effectively at CVS. So two years was enough for me to know they are not going to change. It doesn't matter that I had the highest patient satisfaction. People moved their families to come and see me because they believed I cared and then I would take the time. But then my execution was always like, you take too long. You need to start verifying prescriptions right. in less than three minutes. But they didn't know what I was doing that took me 15 minutes. So I said, enough is enough. And I went to work for a home infusion. And I loved it because I was using all my clinical knowledge, dosing, medications, but there were no people. So here came a problem. Okay, I love this, but I also love people. So how do I do it together? So that's when I had the crazy idea of said, okay, I have to open my own because it doesn't exist. And remember, I was a new grad. I don't come from generational wealth. Sure. I have no idea of opening a business, but I just knew it was the right thing to do. So with no money, I opened the pharmacy. <laughs> no, uh, no other variety shows? <laughs> before well, that. so this time I went back to my friends mm -hmm. and I said, hey, guys, I want to do this. But you guys are going to help me. But this time it's a little different. I still have to keep my job. I'll open this pharmacy. Each one of you on your days off, you're going to staff it. <laughs> Till we figure it out. Right. And, and, and we did it. Wow. They helped me. They thought I was crazy. Oh, but that's at cool. this point, I had a track record that even if it's a crazy idea, if I believe in it, you know, I'll really see it through. Yeah. Well, one of the things I kind of want to go back to is, you know, your choice to not do a residency is interesting now because you have a really successful residency program at your pharmacy. You know, what drove you to do that knowing that you can do all the things that you've done without having any kind of residency training? Yeah. So what that taught me was if you believe in something, right? Residency is a pathway. It's a pathway to get you the resources, the experience you need to kind of hone in that clinical skill set that you want. So for me, though I didn't have it, I still held myself accountable. So I continued my education. It was self-education. So I, had, I became the, a board-certified HIV pharmacist because ultimately that was my pathway. Mm -hmm. But then, because again, for me, I didn't have a choice, right? So uh, when I hired Olivia... The first pharmacist that I hired, she was a residency trained and she believed in it. She believed that after school, if we could create an environment of mentoring the next generation of pharmacists, 
that will be amazing. And so she's the one who convinced me because she said, Amina, I just see how much I'm growing working with you. Why don't we make this a program? And so she was, so we have to blame Olivia. You have to blame her a little <laughs> <But> bit. <laughs> we have to blame Olivia. But at the same time, I've always loved teaching. And if I can ever provide clarity, guidance, or just understanding and help the next person, I, I'll do it. So residency was a, was a good fit for our pharmacy. Right. That was one of the things, like, I, I like the idea of what a residency could be. I chose not to do it since I was, I, I'd planned on doing an MBA anyway. But, you know, a lot of the residency programs kind of are check boxes. You want to do that if you want to work in a hospital or whatever. I like the idea that you're using yours as a way to, you know, mentor and grow the pharmacist. And, you know, you've kept a lot of them over the years. All of them. Yeah, I was going right? to say, like, how many? Yeah, I know when we were there. My the, husband yeah. says I'm a hoarder for <laughs> <laughs> pharmacists because you bring them in. Uh, they either thought one way of community pharmacy and why I've really uh, pushed on this is we get students that have checked off community pharmacy is not for them. Oh, right. Okay. But then what they don't realize that independent community pharmacy gives you a blank canvas to make it what you want it to be, That's so true. which mm -hmm. is very different. You know, and so that's the challenge. I like bringing them in, seeing what they think, and then watching them grow and say, I don't want to leave. <laughs> right. Well, you know, if you'd asked me five years ago before I started at Pioneer, if I would ever end up in community pharmacy, I would have told you you're crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 No, you, you, that's such a great way to put it, the blank canvas mm -hmm. piece. Um, that's so cool. All right. So you, so you, you open the pharmacy, and I wanna, I'm going to segue into a little bit of, of how you've kind of formed all of these relationships with providers, primary care, especially probably, I think from what, from talking to you, primary care, um, a few specialists. Now. And, and now I know, now I understand a little bit to me of how your kind of like Josh had persistence, tenacity, whatever it is to jump out there and, and be in front of them and, and, and learn the problems they're having, how you can help the things you're already doing for free that could generate money for you and for them. What made, what was your aha moment or what was, you know, what drove, what drove you to go, look, I, I see a problem. I know they have those issues too. Let me approach them. And did you? And sure. you probably got cut up a little bit just talking to them. I'd imagine just because sometimes that relationship is really warm, sometimes it's not. Um, uh, but yeah, give us something on that. So, so for me, first I was having trouble personally as mm -hmm. a pharmacy owner. Okay, understanding the aspects of the pharmacy, other than I'm passionate about it. I love patients. I love patient care. The other side of wholesaler, math of what is your cost of goods, right. uh, those things were challenging for me, you know, to understand. And I would sit with several wholesalers and everyone will tell me why the other person is actually wrong. <laughs> and I said, wow, I've, I've been able to figure out a lot of things, but it looks like this is way beyond my <laughs> comprehension. So what can I do that I have self-control, that I love, that I understand how to get paid? So that was one thing that I was searching for. 
But at the same time, the way I took care of patients, whether when I was at CVS or at the independent pharmacy, I always liked to loop their providers back in. Like when I found something, I would always send them a message and say, hey, by the way, did you know this patient is also seeing a psychiatrist and they're prescribing these things? So my, my, my way of communicating was building friendships. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the providers, and I always laugh at the pharmacy, I say, oops, guess what? Doctor and so-and-so gave me their cell phone now, so we are in, <laughs> we're you in. know, so, because they start saying, I provide value. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of these providers be like, hey, here's my cell phone. If you ever need to ask me about my patient, just message me, mm-hmm. you know, because I was finding things that were critical, right? So, so I started bypassing those faxes to a cell phone. Right. And then as pharmacy was getting tough, again, my curiosity, I just asked them, especially those who own their own practices, do they feel how I feel that they love medicine, but maybe running the medical practice is not what they thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. So those gave us relationships to communicate. And as I figured they're as stressed as me, I was like, oh, they're as a hot mess as I am. <laughs> so you know what? Titles mean nothing. Right. These are people. So when I started really understanding the human-to-human connection, no matter what title you hold, when you run your own business, it's hard. Mm-hmm. Right? So if we can figure out a way to work together and help each other is what I was looking for. And so when I knew that was an opportunity, I, I took it and I said, okay, let's see how we can make our lives better. Yeah. You know, it's funny you're talking about that. And when we talked earlier this week, you said something that I thought was really important. And you're saying that pharmacists right now are focusing on the things they can't do. And your life is kind of focusing on the things that pharmacists can do. And that just kind of feeds into, you know, you found a doctor who felt the same way you did. Cool, let's do something with it. And that doesn't involve DIR fees or poor purchasing or selling. It's things that you guys can control and things that make a difference in those patients' lives. Yes, because as I was searching, that was the subset of healthcare providers that literally got paid not because of goods, but because of services. And the more I learned about their services, I learned about services that they should do, but they don't or they can't because they don't have time. And when I looked at those services, I said, that's up my alley. I can do those things for you, you know? And then I said, and I would love to do these things, but I also have to stay in business, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the part that I feel a lot of pharmacists and providers get stuck is the friend zone. Now we are friends. The friend zone. I have their cell phone. I love that. How do we make this a business relationship? But I want to tell you that they are very much interested in making this a business relationship if you can show them how. So a lot of pharmacists don't know how to show them. Right. So do you think COVID and the lack of visits has kind of increased or or made someone have a better appetite, a a provider having a better appetite for, for maybe they said no before, or maybe that there was a wall there before. Do you feel like that wall's kind of coming down a little bit? Yes. There's a lot of pressure right now. Okay. 
uh, because of the telehealth models, mm-hmm. right? The virtual care. So providers who were so used to office visits, nationally, they had been a decline. Right in March, there was a 70% decline in office visits. Now they're coming back up. So it's about 40 to 50%, uh, you know, that they're probably less. However, they don't know that you can solve that, right? So immediately what we did, as soon as we saw the visits down, our team of pharmacists, we had a meeting and said, guys, how do we help these folks? Because we need them to survive. So they cannot go under, right? So we're the ones who actually put a strategy and say, hey, pharmacist, when you see a patient that has no refill, don't just fax the provider. What can we do to make sure that patient sees the provider virtually so that mm-hmm. provider can bill for a visit and we can help them? So again, we solved the problem. And so for pharmacists, go in. You have access to these lives. They're coming to you. Mm-hmm. They're either walking in your lobby. You can take some blood pressure for them and send it to their provider and say, hey, could you initiate a televisit and then give us a new script so everybody wins? Right. Otherwise, when you fax it to them and they fax it back, that provider doesn't win. Right. So what's, what can we do that actually helps them as well? Right. Well, and even beyond that, you know, like I, I came out of the, the dialysis world prior to this, and a lot of the things we were looking at was how do we get patients to the dialysis seat? Not because that's how we got paid, but because if they missed that dialysis visit, that one visit, the next day they're in the hospital, right? And that five or $600 dialysis visit turns into a $25,000 hospitalization. And there's a real concern about patients that put off their, hosp- or their, their regular routine provider visits that will end up in the hospital later. And it's just going to just snowball the cost. Yes. So COVID really, to me, opened up the door for better collaboration, especially with the remote access or remote patient monitoring. Okay. So we called our providers and say, okay, the folks are at home, right? We've been talking about remote patient monitoring, but it was something we're going to implement fully in the future, uh-huh. right? Yeah. Because they're like, oh, we got to think about technology. We got to think about this. Well, guess what? This is the time. So we ramped up and sent, sent devices to patients home with our drivers for blood sugar, oh, blood wow. pressure, and scales for the heart failure patients. Right. Mm-hmm. And as they are monitoring, within five seconds, we have the data and our pharmacy technicians are actually monitoring and they're prioritizing patients that are not on their optimal and sending a message to the providers and the providers are initiating a televisit because they already have data. And then let let, let, me link this back to some financials and you and the provider are getting paid to do that remote patient monitoring absolutely, as an incident, as an incident to, I am not the expert here, Josh, help me with even the wording, but, uh, or, or Amina is, as an, it's basically incident to billing, right? Um, I'm assuming under like a, a collaborative practice agreement. So it's under collaboration, right? Yes. Okay. That means the doctor is allowed to delegate right. okay. any clinician that they feel comfortable to help them in co-managing a patient. They get to bill for it. 
they get to be the overall supervisor. Right. And out of that revenue, they can pay us and they can keep some. And, and those are the things that are like, and, and what, so remote patient monitoring, understand that one, um, that there's another one like chronic care management, right? It's certain, chronic certain patients management. are eligible for this kind of treatment. And sometimes if I think if I'm right, if they don't, if they do have like supplemental insurance or things like that, it, there's usually no, there's sometimes no copay for the patient. Um, there's a consent, yes. right? There's an opt-in, I think, for the patient, correct? The patient has to opt-in that they want to be part of it. And the third one, which became even more crucial for us, was behavioral health integration. These are Medicare patients that have at least one uh, mental health issue, whether anxiety, depression, opiate dependence. So we used that to follow the patients who have now been cooped in stressed about what's happening. So we wanted to get a baseline and then every month we follow them to check how the anxiety level is. Uh, there was so much happening beyond COVID, you know, the right. cities were shutting down, right. they were riots. There was just a lot happening. And so those were a very vulnerable patient population. And our providers thought that was brilliant to get connected with those patients and they don't feel alone. Right. I mean, unemployment too, right? I'm sure that kind right. of bumped yes. up. Yeah. I mean, the, the depression and anxiety levels for the population right now is through the roof. But so let's say you have your, your pharmacist at home and they're, they're saying, I'm not Amina. Jason Priestley didn't help me. <laughs> how do you, how do you get a collaborative practice agreement with a doctor? Even if you know them, right? How do you, how do you approach that? So the number one thing is to first believe you have a value to give. It's not about that agreement. I love that. It's not about that document. A lot of pharmacists are still unsure that they are valuable because especially in the community setting, we've left, we've let the profession divide pharmacists to say who's cool and who's not, or you're clinical, you're not. So I'm learning that there are a lot of pharmacists that say, well, but I'm not clinical. And I said, how did you get through pharmacy school <laughs> without any clinical content? It's impossible. And they go, well, you have a point. I said, who made you believe that? You know, that is the fundamental, uh, that's a problem. Right. Because you, no one just told you, here is Tylenol, without you knowing clinically who can get it, who cannot get it. What are the dosing? So why did we take that out of, like, like it's not? So that's the number one, that pharmacists have to rebuild their knowledge, but also remind themselves they are clinical. Our settings could be different. Mm -hmm. So if I'm a, if I, my setting is community, so I have different access points, I have advantages and I have disadvantages. The pharmacist in the hospital could say they're clinical, but they have advantages and disadvantages. They don't know where these patients live. They don't see them after the patient leaves the hospital. They don't know that what else is happening. So we need all of us together to manage the patient. So if we can start working on before collaborating with another profession, we need to collaborate within the pharmacy space, right? If I'm a pharmacist in the hospital setting, I should know who my community partners are and lean on them to help me with the patients, right? So that's number one that I feel like we need to 
get our pharmacists believing in themselves again, rewiring that lie that they, the story they told themselves is mm-hmm. not true. They are clinical. They are very valuable. They just have to know what is their value. Then take that value, package it. People don't buy products. These providers are looking for solutions. So then you need to understand their world, right? You have to understand their world because you can't sell the same solution to everyone. So if that provider doesn't have that problem, you just lost them because you didn't take the time to know more about them, right? right? So I listen more than I talk to these providers. When I go in, I want to hear their pain points because I know they have them. You know, and so then they'll get to that. Oh, the patients with diabetes, I'm getting dinged on those patients because I'm part of this clinically integrated network and I have to perform at this level and I'm not winning with this patient subset or uh, hospitalizations, you know, whatever it is they need, you can then figure out what services you offer that can solve that. I love that you're almost offended when you hear when you hear I'm not clinical. I, I love like, almost like your reaction yeah. is like, no, absolutely not. You are. Um, well, you know, and even to a degree that happens starting out in pharmacy school. Like, you have pharmacy school saying, all right, well, seventy five percent of you are going to go practice in the the community. Meh. We're going to talk about residencies. Mm. We're going to talk about hospital. We're going to talk about, and even in the hospital, you have your basement pharmacist and your floor clinical. It's like this natural hierarchies of things that it's weird. And, you know, even like I came out of the renal specialty background, it didn't mean I had any more training. It means I deal with the same 10 drugs over and over again, and I see them all the time. And so it's it's really smart to say, you know, you're right. I have a PharmD just like every other pharmacist on the planet. Yeah. We just have to say where our setting is mm-hmm. and what we can do with that setting. Say I'm a, I'm a pharmacist and y'all are going to forgive me because I'm not one who ever's listening. Um, I'm, I'm going to offer chronic care management with the doctor I've talked to because Amina coached me up and goes, hey, I'm that provider struggling to implement it. Um, it's maybe causing them some dings on, on financials through MIPS or macro, right? Which is some of the like higher level, like, performance-based metrics that providers have to have to have uh, I'm gonna say adhere to I guess and where do you where do you where's that pocket of chronic care management where do you implement that is that like hey get MedSync going and on your MedSync calls your your that's your opportunity to to hit those patients with chronic care management bill that send that to the billing company whatever like it's I know I'm getting a little bit granular but right so If you look at in the medical practice and in the pharmacy, in the pharmacy, every single day, they're doing care coordination. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they actually have more touch points every single moment that counts towards chronic care management. When they're filling a prescription and they stop Mm -hmm. and they say, this drug is not covered. Let me try to figure out the insurance that the patient has and what drug is covered. That is care coordination. And the time that it takes that, if documented, it's part of CCM, right? Another thing they do all the time, the patient calls and say, what what time should I take this medication? Okay, let's take the time and say, what else are you taking? Let's space this to morning and take this night. Identifying a patient with pill burden 
and working up a plan, right, to synchronize them, to then put them in adherence packaging. This never happens on the doctor side. So even when a doctor does chronic care management, they run out of activities that patients find valuable because the MA or the nurse, imagine me calling you all the time every month, Mark, and say, so how are you doing today? And you say, great. Okay. Anything changed from last month? Nothing. Okay. You're going to disenroll after two to three months right. because there's not much on the medical side they can help you with. But on the pharmacy, think about the many encounter. Oh, you're out of refills. Let me call your doctor and get this prescription. There's a preauthorization issue. You can't afford this medication. We have to bubble pack it. Were you hospitalized? Who else do you see? Are you taking supplements? Mm -hmm. Are you so just naturally, chronic care management is what we do. Right. And we don't get paid for any of that. Right. So that's what I show the providers. Actually, I can contribute to very beneficial minutes that these patients get to engage beyond one or two months sure. because they look forward to that med sync call because we don't just talk about prescription. Mm -hmm. We talk about other things. Right. So let's kind of bring this all back kind of full circle. You went to pharmacy school. You opened your pharmacy. You got conned into doing a, a residency program with Olivia and that just kind of naturally progressed <laughs> into, I and I've worked with Olivia you, a few Olivia. times and um, <laughs> she's very convincing. Um, yes. But so you take that into a residency program and then all this stuff is successful. And now you're teaching other pharmacists to kind of replicate that model. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing with, with that. I think, yeah, it's a, a Vaughn, your Vaughn Institute of Clinicians. And, and I think you're partnering with NCPA too on, on, on some of that. Yes, uh, CPSN. CPSN, sorry. So what I did was in the last four years, I looked at things that went really well for us. And I started, me and Olivia said, how did we go from me and you to having 18 pharmacists in our team? That's a little humble brag there. A little humble brag. <laughs> right, right, right. I love you know? it. I love so, it. And I said, how can every pharmacy use their leverage every pharmacy owner use their leverage to generate these many jobs then our profession will be saved because when we hear things like there have been uh, all these layoffs from the chains right and then the pharmacists are feeling devalued and it's just very negative and if you know anything about me now it's like that's a problem so how do we solve it, right? <laughs> right yes <laughs> that's a problem how do we solve it because i believe in these individuals they're great so we studied our residents, you know, because we've kept every resident. They come in, we give them, we let them drink the Kool-Aid that we're <laughs> in it together. We got to save their profession. This is the only way we're going to do it. We're going to collaborate. We're going to show our value across the aisle, but we're going to generate a position for you because it's crucial. And then they do it. So we looked at their first month, their second month, their third month, and then how they grew. A lot of that team who started with us as residents, they are now directors of different departments in our pharmacy, right? So we took that and said, how do we train? Because what I get is a, an email. Someone said, Amina, I heard you speak. Can you help me? And I say to myself, even if I give you an hour, 
I'm not sure I can really get you to where we are, right? But I'm happy to give you my time. I'm happy to answer because when they ask me a question, I know so many things that they already don't know mm-hmm. because they're looking at the tip of the iceberg. Right. But underneath it, there's a lot of strategies, persistence, psychology. There's so much underneath it. So how do we help those individuals? So the best way we thought was instead of them coming to shadow, we couldn't have the whole country come to shadow. How do we take the pieces and put them in modules, right? All our failures into a module. So we started doing that and we did it through Avant for three days. But then we studied because I like, if I'm going to help you, I really want you to succeed. So that's one thing anyone will tell you because I'll stay on top of you. I'll text you. So what did you do? And they say, well, I've been busy. And I say, well, then I need to fire you and you need to bring someone else that can actually do the job because <laughs> pharmacy owners wear many hats and they don't implement. Mm-hmm. So then we saw from independent pharmacy owners were not successful compared to when we trained consultant pharmacists. And it's simply because the independent pharmacy owners have so much Just going so on. So much going on. Yeah. So much going on. And so they can't really focus. So we're like, okay, how do we help them still? Because they're my tribe. They're, mm-hmm. I know why they did this. I want them to succeed. So we worked out with CPSN and said, could we take our three-day training into a longitudinal, right? And not just train one person, but train the team so they can bring different people along throughout you know, the modules, mm-hmm. have recorded version but then do small group coaching, just like going to the gym. You know, what's your cycle class? What's aerobics? Right? Right. So they can start participating into those small groups. And eventually, I feel like we will get them there. Because if anyone is going to create more jobs in America, it's this independent pharmacy owners. That's a, a controversial take compared to where you see, you know, like when you read the news, it looks depressing, right? Your line kind of continues to grow or go down and you're saying, I can grow that. I can, right. You know, no, we like, can. And that's yeah. how you do it. Um, all right. So let's kind of, that. that's a good, I think, piece there to like segue into what you're doing a little bit with uh, uh, Troy, Troy Medicare and as a clinical director and really kind of managing a popular, you're helping them at least, um, uh, manage a population of, you know, 65 older, I'm, I'm assuming it's a Medicare advantage plan for people who don't know what that is. Um, and, uh, I think you guys are doing some things where it's like, Hey, here's services to do. Um, and how, how successful are you seeing some of that? So Troy was, meant to come into the market and solve a problem. Pharmacies are always looking for payers, right? To pay us. However, we have some success, you know, through pilots and convincing. But in Troy, we can get off the start and say, you're valuable and we're going to pay you. So Troy put in their bid to Medicare. No other plan has ever put in that bid to Medicare that part of their care management dollars are going to go to the pharmacy, okay? Because Medicare has a guidance that you have to have a budget 
for care management, but the only one written into that budget is nursing staff, right? So Troy was like what pharmacy does. So I used what I know now in the community and the primary care. Pharmacists are doing care management all day long. Okay. Right? So that's why we were able to say they can get X num amount per, per member per month, very similar to chronic care management. So we were right. trying to manage, we we're trying to match chronic care management modules you know, or mm -hmm. a model mm -hmm. and just pay them. However, to get paid, you have to document. And we are finding that pharmacists, even with here's the money, some of them are not documenting. So now is where I keep saying, what else can we do together as a profession? Is it because now they're intimidate, intimidated to document because of the story I told myself I'm not clinical. I wasn't mm. ready for chronic care management. And that's where I'm really trying to hone into. I really think it's a belief, right? So if by you guys are uh, doing these podcasts and showcasing different pharmacies across uh, the country, is hopefully we can keep saying in that messaging, we're just a different specialty, right? We're a community wow. specialty. Love that mindset. So... Yeah, you you always kind of talk talk about like a, a a shift in the mindset, right? I've heard you say something like that before, and um, that that's so true. Now, one thing I do love about that though is, and I'll tell everybody, you didn't Troy Medicare didn't wait for Rutledge, right? Didn't wait for the didn't wait for legislation to get passed. There, you know, you guys got a group of you know I think ownership structures basically mostly independent physicians and independent pharmacies. We're like we're going to do this ourselves. We're not we're not waiting on uh, a state law. We're not waiting on a on a Supreme Court verdict. We're we think we're going to put our money where our mouth is and and go manage these patients to make them healthier and, and in a way where this inflated PBM is not not taking it from everyone. Yes, and I've learned a lot, and I really feel that in order for us to solve these problems, we need more than we need the Troy models to come out. Right. You know, so if there are yeah, different people and I know Troy has been very open to say we've already built it. If someone else out in another state, they have relationships with their with their hospitals and they want to go for it. Let's, let's help, help them. Yeah, let's there. help you. Mm -hmm. That's the new mark. We're creating a new market space. Right. You know, I think that's important in a lot of ways. And talking about, you know, if somebody wants to recreate the Troy model in another state, that's being encouraged now. And I think that was even part of where independent pharmacists used to look at the other independent in the, in their street or down the road or in the city as their competitor, instead of looking at them as saying, Hey, we can work together and make it all better. And we're not competing against each other. We're competing against a model of pharmacy that doesn't work. Yes. And the beauty of Medicare Advantage plant, it can exist in one county, two counties, right. you know, mm -hmm. it can be countywide. So you can get together and look at where your independents are. You've got the independent doctors, you've got the hospitals, and boom, you can take care of your Medicare patients. Right. Yeah, healthcare is local. the hardest thing I've uh, had to learn. It's, uh, it's definitely a beast, but <laughs> it's, it's worth a try. I'm that person is like, if it doesn't work, so what? But at least I would never sit here and say, I wish we had tried. Yeah, I wish we would have. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
we just have to try it. So while we're uh, learning about Amina the Beast, developing programs, education, residencies, um, we happen to know you're you're at Disney World right now. So um, how's that going? You know, I have to make a trip once a year to Disney because to me, Disney is beyond the rides. I love the rides. I, I'm very competitive in uh, Disney. <laughs> you know, I have my map. So how, how do you passes. competitive Disney? Oh, yeah, yeah. I love, it. I love know, it. Listen, especially me and Olivia, I'll tell you a quick funny story. So we took our resident, Jessica. It was her first time in Disney. So we were at a conference. And so on the last day, we took her to Disney. And she was like, I can't believe you guys, because we knew by nine o'clock, we got to be at this park at this time at this ride. And we knew our way. But she was like, you know, what was very surprising? You guys were getting lost from our room to the conference room every <laughs> single day. <laughs> because we would be going on the wrong direction. She said, no, guys, it's this way. But in Disney, you did not need a map. You knew exactly where to go. <laughs> so I like the fact that Walt Disney has been gone for many, many years. But what he's built continues to grow, innovate, provide jobs for these communities and family. And I'm just fascinated, you know? So that's kind of my inspiration from Disney and just looking at, so I feel that's what I want to do. Like one day I may not be part of RX Clinic Pharmacy, but all these individuals as part of our organization can continue to serve and grow and take care of their families even beyond Amina. So that's why I like Disney. I love that. It's about, you know, leaving a mark kind of, right? Um, just don't ask that about Star Wars fans. <laughs> <laughs> no, but other than that, they have great protocols. I feel really safe. It's, That's good. Uh, it's That's good. good. I'll say this, Amina. I researched you. I talked to you. And every time I've learned more about you, I like you more and more. And I'll say this. You make me feel like. I don't do enough <laughs> a little bit, but, but no, thank you for coming on. Thank you for doing what you're doing, pushing the profession forward. Um, we're always totally willing to stand behind and, and, and try to push and, and give leverage where we can too. And, and thank you for joining us today. Yeah. Hope to see oh, you, you in real life soon. Sure. Yes. My pleasure. I miss people. I have uh, to say. I know as much <laughs> as a people you. person you are. Absolutely. So thank you guys. Thanks, Amina. Take care. Zoom wave. Bye. All right. <laughs> thank you for listening to this Catalyst podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider liking, subscribing, and or following us. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts to help us reach more amazing pharmacy people like you. Follow PioneerX on your preferred social media platform for the latest up-to-date pharmacy news and content.